Well, hello. hello. <laughs> My name's Ray. <laughs> I'm a. Uh, um, so sometimes you see me up here leading worship, but today um, I'm gonna be sharing. So that's awesome. I get to the, the the real difference is I get to drink coffee while I do this, as opposed to up there when I don't get to drink coffee. So anyway, so. Um, a little bit about me. So I'm, I'm married. Can we put the, the picture up of my family? Yeah. yeah. So this is us last week in Colorado. And it's two pictures because, you know, we, I, uh, every other picture gets this perspective where you see like this much of my daughter's face and, uh, and the background. So this is from uh, left to right. This is uh, Audrey and then me and Lucy, my wife Lori, our oldest son Jacob and Oliver. So the six of us, and it's a joy and a delight. And um, anyway, that's my family. So my wife, Lori, and I have lived in College Station for 21 years. So, I mean, come on. That's like, was College Station even founded when we moved here? Yes. Yes, it was. But it wasn't quite so big. It ended, you know, about, about, uh, about uh, Graham Road. So anyway, that was out on the edge, and nobody went there. Um, Anyway, so, uh, and we, we have lived in College Station for 21 years. We were involved in a couple of different churches throughout our time and really had, as Dan alluded to last week, we were in that group of just saying, Lord, would you, would you, would you build something, a church in this place that, that really sees it as its mission to plant other churches that impacts the world, to, to really to see your kingdom come, um, to see you return, that all would hear and all would know. And so we jumped in on the front end. I mean, the, the Hardys came and stayed at our house um, back, back before there was anything when they were still living in Waco. And um, we had never met them really before. And, and they stayed at our house. So kudos to them for sure. Um, uh, but it was great. And we jumped in with the church plant and served on the team uh, for a couple of years. And I led worship um, for the first couple of years with Kaylin and um, before, before he came on full-time staff. And outside of that, I have a history in software development. So, you know, I tell computers what to do, and they obey every time. So, come on. Who doesn't love that? Who doesn't love that? Um, and if they don't do it right, it's my fault. So, you know, it's like it's super straightforward. Um, I've got a background in business, um, so I have, have had part ownership in some businesses and am interested in business, and, but, but right now what I do is I'm a husband and I'm a father and I work in, in, the, in the real world, as they say, and, and serve in, in businesses and try to make things better. So that's a little bit about me. Um, and um, today we're going to be talking about, we're going to be continuing on in our series on Enthralled by the Word of God. And um, I know a couple of weeks ago, did anybody notice that, that Kalen had three sermons when he spoke? Yes. And he always has three songs when he leads. Anybody put that together? Like, just, that's just the way he works. But loved uh, hearing from Kalen give a kind of an overview of the Psalms. And Dan Hale came and talked about Psalm 40. And just, I just love hearing Dan talk. Um, I've known him for yeah, about 20 years. And just, I mean, if that guy doesn't, doesn't exude the heart of God, I just don't know who does. Um, so if you have time to get to know Dan better, you should get to know Dan better. And you'll, you'll get to know the Lord better when you get to know Dan better. So 
That's my, that's my plug for Dan Hale, man of God. It's awesome. Um, one more plug that I want to give you is if you haven't had the opportunity to explore ADS, I would just say, do it. If there's, it's like a catalyst. And if you feel like I'm moving towards wanting to, to like live a missional lifestyle, I'm not saying necessarily go overseas, but Lord, my life is yours and I want to live on mission for you for all my days, then go do it. Um, we, Lori and I went through ADS in 2011 with, with the Wises. They led us through ADS. It was awesome. It was the first class the, 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 the church did, and there were 12 of us. It was amazing. Um, and we read the Bible, the whole thing, pretty much, the whole thing. I mean, there were some, it's dry. There's some spots in it that's like real rough. <laughs> So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, you know, and then all the law, and then it's like, didn't I read this already? Oh, yeah, that was two books ago, but it's the exact same thing, said a different way. Anyway, so we read the whole Bible, and we read, it felt like 30 other books, but I'm sure it was only 10 or 12. Um, but more than that, we were surrounded by a community of people who were running hard after God. And it was foundational for us, because as we processed through stuff, we got to talk to other people about it. We weren't just sitting in our own echo chamber um, with our own thoughts, um, but we were surrounded by people who love God, which is why we do life group. You know, it's like, that's why we do life group. We do life group because we need to be surrounded by people who love God, um, not just all the other voices in our world today. So there you go. It's a plug to ADS and, and also turn off the news. So. <laughs> Say it again. Okay, so, um, so I love the Bible. I haven't always loved the Bible, but I love the Bible. Um, it really does reflect the heart of God. And, you know, it's by faith, really, that we believe that the, that the Bible is the Word of God. It, re it really is by faith. But if you guys recall, or at the beginning of the summer, Billy talked about some of the evidence behind the Bible and significance behind the Bible. It's not just by faith. So we're thankful, or I'm thankful, that it's not like raw faith, that I just, I believe it. There's actually evidence. If you'll go back and listen to what Billy said at the beginning of the summer, go find the sermon and listen to it. There's evidence behind it. So we have both evidence and faith that we, that we use and are activated when, when we're taking in the Bible. So I would encourage you, read the Bible, yeah. love the Bible. Um, it, the, the heart of God is throughout the whole thing. So as much as I love the Gospels and they tell us about who Jesus was in, in his time, I love, like, you really do need the whole thing because it gives a broad perspective. And, you know, one of the guys that's in the Old Testament that we're going to talk about today um, that I really love is David. You know, because Jesus was perfect. He was perfect. And I can't relate to that as well as I can to David. And you know, Paul's awesome. And he wrote like half of the New Testament or three quarters of the New Testament. But it doesn't really, the Bible doesn't really, like Paul, when he's writing these letters, he doesn't say, oh yeah, and I messed up here and this happened. But when you look at David's life, you get all the ugly warts, which really is helpful because we all have a lot of ugly warts, or at least I do. So... Anyway, so that's, that's my, uh, another plug for taking in the whole Bible. Read the whole Bible. And, 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 and if you have time, dive into the life of David. Uh, there's a, so when I was 
prepping for this, blueletterbible.com, which I think Kaylin mentioned, the Bible Project, um, the, uh, what's, what's the one, the Bible Recap podcast, listen to that. But also, um, there's a guy out of Kansas City, his name's Mike Bickle. In 1998, he did like a, who, who remembers CDs? Remember CDs? He did like a, he did like 20 weeks of talks on the life of David. And if I'm really honest, I've, I've, I've listened to four of those or five of those probably 20 times. And I don't know, I don't know if I ever got past 10 or 11, but they're all out there. But if you'll Google online, Mike Bickle, Life of David, there's a series from 1998 that's really good. He really talks about the life of David, and it's in a way that's, it's just, it's applicable to life because David was not perfect, you know, but he loved God, and the, the Lord himself called him a man after his own heart, and I'm like, Lord, let that be said of me. Um, yeah, let that be said of me. Even if the world doesn't hear my name, if you call me a man after your own heart, then that's enough. Um, so, yeah. So we're going to look at Psalm 27. It's the Psalm of David. It's considered a lament. I know uh, uh, Kaylin talked about a couple of different songs uh, or types of psalms, and this one's a lament. So, you know, yay for that. Um, it's real, real upper. Um, so what, but, but if you guys know David, I mean, what, what do we think about when we think of David? We think he slayed Goliath, right? So he's like a big dude or, or something, a big deal, at least. He slayed a giant that the entire nation was terrified of. So that's kind of a big deal. And I think he was a king. You know, it's like if we just kind of surveyed the land, I think we could land on that. So he slayed a giant and he was the king of Israel. Well, what do mighty warriors and kings have to complain about. I mean, when we talk about a lament, it's really kind of a, a long complaint. I'm just putting it before the Lord that this is, this is the problems that I have in life. Well, when we, when we look at the life of David, really through 1 Samuel, so the entire book of 1 Samuel-ish, not the, maybe the second half, uh, David's introduced, and it kind of walks through his life before he was king, and then 2 Samuel was David as king. So you can go back and read through 1 Samuel and, and find out a lot about David's life before he was king. So, so he was anointed king over Israel while another king was still in place. King Saul was still in place, and um, the prophet of Israel, the last judge of Israel, Samuel, came to town. They had a big feast, and... David was such a big deal in his family that he wasn't even invited. <laughs> I mean, he was left in the field taking care of the sheep. So I'm like, I don't know how old you have to be to take care of sheep alone in a field. She's got to be at least 10 or 12, right? Um, but wasn't even invited. Like, how, what, how does that happen? Where your whole, the whole family was invited and, and, and he wasn't invited. And Samuel said, Jesse, aren't, don't you have more sons? The Lord says, it's among your sons that I'm going to find my next king, that there's a man after a man. So, you know, at 12, I don't know how that works out, but there's a man <laughs> after my own heart. Um, don't you have any more sons? And they had to wait. Samuel waited for them to go get David. 
So not, not really considered much in his family, is what I would propose to you, not considered much. He slayed, so he was anointed king, and then a couple years later-ish, he slayed Goliath. So the entire Israel, Israeli army cowered in fear. David stands up and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistines that mocks God and the armies of the living God? And he takes uh, five stones, and with one, he basically knocks out Goliath and then takes Goliath's sword and finishes the job. <laughs> and everybody rejoices. And the king says, David, you're awesome. Have my daughter as your wife. And David's like, this is awesome, you know? <laughs> I don't even have to do anything. I've already done it. And so David's given Saul's daughter. He's in Saul's household but then ends up back taking care of sheep. Like they have to, so, so if you kind of follow the life of Saul, he, he's like, he's king for several months and then disobeys God. And, and God says, I've rejected you as king. And during that time, it's like real tumultuous for Saul. And at some point, an evil spirit comes and torments Saul. And so not like at one time, but like it would come in periods and torment Saul. And so they look throughout the country for somebody to, to come and play an instrument, to play music for Saul, and the, the evil spirit would leave it. And the person chosen to do that was, anybody? David. David. That's right. So champion of Israel. They sang a song about him. The, the, the virgins of Israel would sing the song, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Like, I don't know if there's, we don't really have a ton of songs about people these days. We got a lot of people that are famous for writing songs, but can you imagine like everybody in the nation knowing a song and we even find out later that other nations knew of this song. Oh, isn't, aren't you David? Don't they sing that song about you? It was like the top of the charts, you know? Saul is slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. And how do you think that makes Saul feel? Not very good. For a guy that's tormented by a demon or an evil spirit, that's not a good combination. So, so David comes and like serves the king by playing music to ease basically the tension in his heart and his life and to, to relieve him of this evil spirit. And Saul is so grateful that twice he takes a spear and tries to pin David to the wall. <laughs> eight times he tries to kill David. Eight times, eight other times. He either arranged to have David killed, he sent people directly to kill him, or he himself went to kill him. Now, I've been a boss. I am a boss. Um, I know most of you guys have had bosses. But if that doesn't give perspective on like, what's a, what really is a bad boss? You know, <laughs> the guy that tries to pin you to the wall with a spear, that's a bad boss. Get away from that guy. So what does David have to lament? Well, I mean, he's got a lot to lament, but that's not where it ends. So after one of these times that, that, that Saul tries to pin David to the wall with a spear, um, he also sends uh, people to kill him at David's house. And thankfully, David's married to Saul's daughter, and she warns him and says, you have to run. So David ran, and he left his wife, which is, I mean, it would break me. <laughs> um, 
I just can't even imagine that. And he went and sought help in a town called Nob from a priest there. And the priest said, all we have is this, this bread that is basically offered to the Lord. And so if you're, you and your men are, are, are clean before the Lord, you can eat the bread. And, and David said, our, me and my men are clean before the Lord. And so it was five loaves of bread. So the priest gives him five loaves of bread. And David said, do you have a weapon? And the priest said, um, all I've got is, is Goliath's sword. Which, I mean, it's like, come on. David won that sword rightfully in battle. I mean, I would, I would challenge you to find a more true owner of that sword than David. And for some reason, David, I mean, I would have put that thing on the wall. I mean, like, that's mine forever. But somehow, David, with, with, entrusted to David, it ended up in the house of the Lord. I, I just like, I throw that out there as something to think about. If it were me, it would be up on the wall. But when entrusted to David, it ended up in the house of God. And God returned it to him when he needed it. Uh, if you look, read through the Bible, like the Philistines had for, forbade, forbid <laughs> the Israelites to work iron back in the day. So they didn't have a ton of iron um, weapons. And so this sword could have been one of just a handful in the entire nation. Um, and it was entrusted back to David after he had offered it to the Lord. So he goes to Nob, gets some bread, five loaves of bread, and then flees, knows he can't stay there, so he flees to the Philistines. He flees to his enemies and has to pretend to be insane, literally, like drool running down his beard so that he's not killed. And that's where the king's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't this is the guy that they sing the song about? This is the guy that slayed his tens of thousands and Saul only his thousands? He's insane. I don't want him here. And so David flees again to Adullam. And he spends a good chunk of time in the cave of Adullam. And it, it sort of signifies the dark period in David's life. All of this is like to lay the scene for Psalm 27. But here's the kicker. Saul finds out he's fled, and he's mad. He's real mad. And he goes to Nob, and he murders the priest. And not just the priest, but he murders the priest's family. And not just his family, but the entire village. It's, the Bible says he slaughtered men, women, children, infants, cattle, donkeys, and sheep. And David finds out. He's in the cave of Adullam, and news comes to him that the guy he got five loaves of bread from had died, and his family had died, and their entire village was wiped out because they helped David. And when we look at it, it's, I mean, sure, there's all this other stuff that's happened, but that's worthy of a lament. And there's a lot of things that, that could have risen up in David in that moment. And I think that, that and when we look at scholars, they would, most would agree that this is the time that he wrote this psalm. And so let's take a look at it and see what rose in the heart of David. All right, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. 
whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. And though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. He starts it out with, the Lord is my salvation and my light and my stronghold. The Lord doesn't bring salvation. The Lord doesn't bring light. The Lord is his light and his salvation and his stronghold. He's sitting in a cave in a dullum. The Lord is my stronghold. He set his hope and his faith, not in like the things that he can do to protect himself and the people that he loves. He set his hope that God, ultimately, God is my light. God is my stronghold and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? He's not choosing fear. I get like squeamish and it hurts my heart when, when my kids hurt. Even more so if I'm the source of their pain, you know? I can't imagine to, like, to have that amount of suffering happen in my life. My fear, you know, I mean, like, there would, fear would be a natural reaction. Like, what can I do then? Like, I just need to climb deeper into this cave so that I won't impact anybody around me. Or I need to run away. You know, God had anointed David king over Israel. There were promises on David's life. There was an opportunity for him to say, God, it's not worth it if all these people are going to die. If everywhere I go, Saul finds out and does the exact same thing, it's not worth it. I'll just run away from your plans and your purposes for my life so that nobody else gets hurt. That was an option for him, realistically. Another option was, we, we find out in, in, in um, 1 Samuel 22, that uh, basically an army had, had come to him. And it was his family, which we all know they had a really, really positive opinion of David. They thought much of him. Um, and not only that, but like, I, I think they're probably also afraid for their lives. I mean, if they had heard what Saul did to the, to the priests that helped him, I think there's, there's probably a little bit of, well... If we stay here, we got nothing. But if we run to David, at least we'll be with him and maybe he'll protect us because he killed Goliath. You know, there's something there. Um, and then all those who were in debt and discontent and there was one other thing I can't remember. Basically, all the people who were dissatisfied with their lives came to David. There were about 400 people that joined with him. So he had a little bit of an army of people that you know, and, and just as an aside, if you find yourself surrounded by people who are discontent with life and they're asking you to lead them, they're not going to be content with your leadership. I mean, that's kind of, it's baked into the sauce there, you know? And so not, not like who I would choose. I'm like, give me, at the end of 2 Samuel, it talks about the mighty men of David. Give me the mighty men of David when they're mighty men, not the mighty men of David when they're discontented, which is, which is basically what we see. Because they spent time with David, they became the mighty men of David. So he's got a little bit of an army. He could legitimately pose some kind of a threat. He could have fought. So he could have run. He could have hidden deep in the cave. He could have fought. Fight, flight, 
and really just surrender and give up. Those were, those were kind of his options. But instead he says, I'm not going to fear. Of whom shall I be afraid? I will not fear. He's not crossing his fingers thinking, uh, God's going to come through for me. He also expresses confidence. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident in the Lord. And I would propose to you that he's not confident, again, because he's like hoping against hope, dreaming the impossible dream that God's going to come through. He's full of confidence because he knows how God has come, come through. So this is where it gets real practical, the first place where it gets real practical for us. Like, what are we doing in our lives to build confidence? For us and our family, um, one of the things that we do is just real simple, is um, when we're having a hard time with our attitudes, and that could be mom and dad, or that could be the kids, we'll actually, in the car mostly, it seems to often happen in the car. Maybe it's because we were just, we drove back last Thursday, uh, 16 straight hours from, from Colorado. Um, but when we're in the car and there's grumbling and complaining, a lot of times we'll take turns, and mom and dad will do it too, where just name the things you're thankful for. Let's just go around, and we're each going to say something we're thankful for. And you know what happens is, I mean, it's, I'm thankful for grandparents, I'm thankful for food, I'm thankful for my toy, I'm thankful for the internet or air conditioning, you know, they don't have that in Colorado. Um, <laughs> the Lord himself provides the air conditioning at night, which is amazing. Um, but we'll just go around saying things that we're thankful for. And the outworking of that is we remember things to be thankful for. Because you don't get a pass in our car. You don't get a pass if you can't remember. It's inexcusable. I mean, we've got too much to be thankful for. And so we discipline ourselves to call out the things that we're thankful for. And, and because we discipline ourselves and we don't get a free pass, they remember the things to be thankful for. And, and I remember the things to be thankful for because I don't get a pass either, you know, because I'm just as much a member of the family. The World English Bible has a, is a translation, and it says in Psalm 50, 23, whoever offers the sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me and prepares his way so that I will show God's salvation to him. The way we say it in our family is a thankful heart prepares the way for us to see the salvation of our God. Amen. Thankfulness makes a way. It builds confidence that because the Lord provided me with food to eat, I don't need to complain that I'm hungry because yeah. he provides me food to eat. And because he's done it over and over and over and over and over again in the past, I can have confidence that he's going to do it in the future, that he's going to make a way. So my challenge to you really is to like focus on things that you're thankful for when you're going to work when you're going to lunch, when you're coming home from work, when you're frustrated, especially when you're frustrated, when you're frustrated a little bit and you don't feel like you should be, focus on the things that you're thankful for because it's going to lay a foundation of trust and confidence in God, which, which doesn't necessarily automatically flow. You don't necessarily think, oh, thankfulness you know, lays a foundation for trusting God. But what God says is that when we are thankful for him, 
especially when it's a sacrifice to be thankful for him or be thankful for the things. Thank you for my job that I don't really like today. Or thank you for this person that's frustrating in my life. When it's a sacrifice to be thankful and we mean it, um, that it actually paves the way for us to see the salvation of our God. It paves the way for him to come to our rescue. And so David, on some level, had done some amount of that because he had confidence that God was going to come through because he knew who God was and had been in his life. All right, let's continue. Verse four, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. If I'm really honest, when I, the, like, I've, I've been in semi-charismatic churches for the last 20 years, and, uh, you know, the one thing I ask of the Lord that will I seek that I may dwell in the house. It's like a big deal, you know, in some, in, in some churches. It's like a really big deal. And so I remember reading this. It was in the last couple of years where, where I actually thought, is David saying, Lord, if you get me through this, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life? Is that, is that what he's saying? And I would say this, there's probably a reasonable temptation to, to ask that question, to say is, David saying, is David just saying, Lord, if you'll get me through this, I'll serve you all the days of my life. And I just want to address that and say, if we look at the whole of David's life, what we see here is that David is asking for what his heart desires most. And it's an opportunity, I, I, I think that the Lord offers us Many, many times. There have been seasons in my life when I'm spending time with Jesus and I feel like he's asking me over and over again, Ray, what do you want? What do you want? I don't know, Lord, you know? I, and, and so I'll do my best to answer the question. And what it reveals is what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. Like David knew where his treasure was. And, it, and so the practicality for us is to know where our treasure is. Where is your treasure? What do you want more than anything else? Because what you want more than anything else really is where your treasure is. Like, I just want to be left alone. Like, that's honest. And God's not afraid of that. Like, I just don't want any trouble. I mean, that's honest, you know? I just, I just don't want to work anymore. That's honest, you know? And I think there's an opportunity for us to say, Lord, this is where I'm at. Yeah. And it doesn't actually sound like what you would want for me, <laughs> but it's where I'm at. Can you help me in the midst of this? Can you help me, like either help me to feel better about this by reading your word and, and looking at it, you know, like in a biblical way, not in like a, I'm just gonna ignore it and feel better about it, but like, or change my heart so that what I want is what, is what you want. But I think it's crucial that David recognizes what he wants. It's known to him. What he wants is to be in God's presence. He also wants to be safe. He says, 
Um, for he will hide me in the shelter, in, in his shelter in the day of trouble. He wants to be safe. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. You know what else that he wants? He wants to be exalted. Which doesn't sound like, he wants to be exalted? He wants to be exalted by God. He's had the exaltation of man. David's slain his thousands, or uh, Saul's slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. He's had the exaltation of man. And that leads to your boss trying to pin you to the wall with a spear. He doesn't want the exaltation of man. He wants the exaltation of God. And what does he want it for? He wants it so that he can offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody in my heart. That's like when we're looking at um, what it is to, to want. I mean, that, to me, that's, that's the picture. That's like the goal, you know? And we can be honest along the way and say, God, I'm not there yet, but I want to be there. I mean, when we look in, if you look in Revelation, there's like these 24 elders that all have these huge golden crowns and they lay their crowns before the Lord. I don't understand why they have crowns. Like just in the, in the natural, I don't understand why they have crowns except that God gave them crowns so that they could offer them back to the Lord yes. as an honor to him. And so what I see when I read this is like, there's something in the heart of God there. That, that it's okay to say, Lord, I want to be exalted. I, I want to be in your presence, you know? Or I want to want to be in your presence, you know? I may not want to be in your presence right now, but I really do want to want that because I think it's good. I want to be safe. I want to be hidden in you somehow that you would protect me from these guys trying to kill me. Yeah. And then I want to be exalted by you. So then I can take that exaltation and give it back to you and glorify you in it. That's how, that's how David responds in this moment. So in this, he sort of laid a foundation. He said, you are my light. You are my salvation. I'm going to trust in you and have confidence in you. I know what I want. I want to be in your presence. And for us, we, we kind of have an opportunity to work through that. Of like, I think I want to be in your presence. It sounds boring, but would you kind of give some revelation so that it's not boring, so that I do actually want it inside of me? I really want to be safe, you know? I don't want people trying to kill me or those that I love. And I would love to be exalted by you. That sounds, that sounds pretty good, right? And then I want to have the power and the humility to then give it back to you. So he lays that foundation and then he actually makes his petition before the Lord. So when, 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 you know, that's kind of the model that I'm seeing in Psalm 27. It's like when we're in this spot where, um, where bad things are going down, we like lay the foundation of you're the one that I'm trusting. I have confidence in you. Um, I want to be safe and I want to be in your presence. I want to be with you. And, um, I'm not going to be afraid. And so with that, Lord, hear when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. 
O you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in level path because of the enemies, because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So he's laid that foundation, and on top of it, he says, Lord, please don't hide your face from me. Please don't reject me, and don't turn me over to my enemies. But in the middle of that, unlike there's, like, there's four of them, it's the third one. He says something that I think is really crucial for us. Especially it ties back into his options are what? Fight, flight, and kind of surrender or give up. But what David's response is, instead of fight or flight or surrender, kind of give up, is teach me your ways, God. What what are you doing, Lord? What are you doing? And what can I do in this moment? That, that option of surrender to say, Lord, I just want to do what you're doing is the thing that transition us, transitions us from like responding and reacting to all the events and situations and circumstances in our lives to, to walking in agreement and in step with God. Saying, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying? Help me to do what you're doing, to do what you're saying. And we know that This is not really lip service when we look at the whole of David's life. He really actually does want to do what the Lord is doing, what the Lord's saying. uh, Saul, 10 times, so twice with the spears, eight other times, tried to kill David. David was twice given the opportunity where Saul had no weapon and was, was 18 inches away. And David had a weapon. And he would not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed because he knew what God was doing. And he chose to walk in that instead of gratifying the desires of the flesh and just taking vengeance on this guy that had done atrocities. The world would have looked at it and said it was a righteous act of anger. But David said, I don't care what the world says. I'm going to do what the Lord is saying. And that's the invitation to us. I'm going to have the band come up real quick. All right, so almost there. So Lord, you are my salvation, my safety. I have confidence in you. I want to be with you, exalted by you, and to glorify you in that exaltation. But please don't reject me. Teach me your ways and show me how you're responding. So when put in situations where we're afraid or where, we're, where we have regret, when I look at it, this is, this is the option for us. This is the best option. This is, this is victorious lament. This is what it looks like to acknowledge that it's a hard situation, to say, I'm not going to power through it and just, you know, grip my teeth and make it through. I'm also not going to uh, uh, wallow in self-pity, you know? I'm going to rededicate myself to the Lord and his plans and his purposes. I'm going to act um, I'm going to ask to him to act on my behalf and I'm going to commit myself to knowing his ways. So I just want to share just like a, a story. Some of you guys have heard this before, but so um, in, um, in 2015, um, 
my, my wife had a dying spell. That's what the doctor called it. He said, your wife's had a little dying spell. And, um, but leading up to that, so she had a, a massive heart attack. Um, they don't really know what the cause of it was. They think stress-induced, like, but also there was some sort of hormonal component of it, and also they just don't know. I mean, it's like, this is the world of medicine that we live in, is, you know, I'm so thankful for our medicine, and like, but there's some, there's some uncertainty in there. It's like, well, we're taking our best guess. Um, leading up to that, so she, she was um, at school, she helps to run a small school, in town, and um, they were at the Christmas party for the school, and she collapsed and stopped breathing, and there was a lady there that performed CPR that was just, I mean, there's just like God on top of God on top of God moments leading into it, performed CPR on her for five, ten minutes while the paramedics came, but this is what I want to highlight. For months leading up, she would say to me, Something's not right. Something just doesn't feel right. And I don't know what it is. And I would say, she was like, I just feel stressed. I feel overwhelmed. And I would respond with, well, the Lord's called us to all this stuff. He's going to make a way. He's going to make a way. He'll make a way. Let's just keep on keeping on. He's going to make a way. Let's just keep on keeping on. And I got a call on that Thursday morning and the call said she, she passed out. The first call said she passed out. And I was like, well, that's, that's no good. I mean, she has been under stress lately, but that's no good. So I'll wrap up what I'm doing and head over there. And I'm driving on Highway 6 and I get another call that says the paramedics are here and they're doing CPR. And I thought, my, my goodness. I, I had no preparation for that. I had no preparation for that. And so I said, I'm driving on, on the Rock Prairie turnaround, or turnover that, that goes over um, Texas. And I said, Lord, I, if I've never heard your voice before, I need to hear it right now. What are you saying, God? And he said, leave no room for fear. And it's going to be better after than it was before. And I said, okay, because you said it, I'll believe it. And I just, in light of this, so what, what does that have to do with this? The Lord, the Lord knew that, I, I mean, who was I going to fight? <laughs> you know, I've got nobody to fight. Except for God, I guess, or the doctors, which I'm not going to fight them. <laughs> I'm not running away. Where would I run? My whole life is, you know, basically in, a, in, a, in an ambulance. Where would I run? The Lord knew what you need to know right now is that fear is not an option. This was in my heart, somewhere in there, and the Lord used it. 
to speak. Not the exact words, but the premise was there. Fear is not an option for you. And then he basically said, look for the goodness, because the goodness is coming. That's me paraphrasing what I felt like the Lord was saying. Look for the goodness, because the goodness is coming. I could have, in those moments, felt regret, because she mentioned a problem. And I said, the Lord is with us, let's keep moving forward. I realistically, maybe I did miss it. If I'm just really being honest, maybe I did miss it. Maybe it was my fault. She struggled with, at times, maybe it was her fault. At the end of the day, this side of eternity, we just don't know. So what do we do with it? People cause, are like suffered, potentially because of my action or inaction. So what do I do? What do I do with that? I say, Lord, you are my light and my salvation. And whom shall I fear? You're the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I want to be in your presence. I want to be held, covered in the shelter of your wings. I want to be protected by you. I want to be exalted by you. I want to glorify you in that. I want you to make a way for me. And then in verse 13 and 14, David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of God in the land of the living. He could have just known that he was like anointed to be king and it hadn't happened yet. I think he also purposed in his heart that said, um, regardless of what happens, I have breath today and I'm going to find his goodness. If it's the last thing that I do, I'm going to find his goodness. His goodness is out there. If, we'll, if, if we just take our eyes off of our circumstances and say, I am going to find your goodness, we will find his goodness. Won't you stand? My challenge to you is to read the Bible <laughs> because it's good. There's like good stuff in it. There's life changing. There's life altering. There's life stabilizing truth in the Bible. He'll actually go before you and make a way for you. In this world, we'll have trouble. You know, we will have trouble. But when he goes before us and makes raised places lower and low places high, we don't experience all the trouble that's there. He's essentially gone before us and made our, our way smooth. I don't know how that works. I'm not saying life is all sunshine and roses or rainbows or whatever, you know? But I'm saying when, when, when we set him before us, we will not be shaken. When life comes at us, we'll have an anchor. And, and if we don't know what his word says about who he is and how he responds, then we're shaken. 
like a reed in the wind is what the Bible says, tossed to and fro because we don't know who he is. But when we know who he is and he speaks to us and we recognize it, that's, that's in line with the Bible, you know? We can stand on it and find strength and grace in it for the day. So this is how I want us to respond. Um, we're gonna sing and I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing and we're just gonna invite the Lord to, to bring to mind his goodness and the things that honestly that we should be thankful for. Yeah. So Lord, you are good, God. You're gracious and you're kind and you're merciful and there's none like you, God. You have set breath in my lungs, God. You've given me a place to lay my head. You've surrounded, you set the lonely in families. You have the words of life. You've rescued me from my own selfishness and self-centeredness, God, from my own sin and iniquity, from my own destruction. You've rescued me and you've set my feet on a solid place. You've said and committed that you will be with me, God. You will not abandon me. So Lord, we ask that you would come, that you would stir our hearts and our minds to see your goodness in every moment.